Well, thank you so much for joining us on Take 10. Take 10 follows each of our Caregiver SOS programs. And along with Carol Zernio, we're joined by nationally known therapist and expert on caregiving. Dr. Jamie Heisman is with us, also knows a whole lot about addictions, which puts him at the top of the list for helping people. And Carol, you had a great idea for... uh, Topic number one for Take 10, and it really follows our very special guest, Meryl Comer. Uh, Her quick advice to caregivers was? Was don't second-guess the caregiver. If you're a family member, your five-minute visit or one-hour visit doesn't mean that you know everything that's going on. Uh, And if the caregiver's in there every day, don't second-guess them, which leads me to ask the question, Jamie, um, what about families? You know, there are always the questions about the family, the family members who have too much advice that seem to know better than you, even though you're the caregiver, you're down there doing all of the work 24-7, or families that don't help. So what is it about families, and how do we get it right? Well, you know my thoughts, Carol. Getting it right requires getting a third party engaged, because this is an excellent, excellent topic for our listening audience. Everybody seems to want to second-guess somebody else, but the motives behind that come from so many different places. I, I believe they come from guilt, sometimes from shame. If it's a long-distance caregiver, they're not present to be with somebody, and their loved one is being taken care of, let's say, by a sibling or somebody else. And that's a huge feeling of powerlessness. So, you know, second-guessing comes, unfortunately, with fear, uh, that old acronym, false evidence appearing real. But it also becomes from clinical projections, meaning we're not there. So we're going to second-guess it. Rather than feel comfortable trusting that person's instincts who is with them, uh, we tend to get very, very anxious. So this is like the armchair quarterback that, you know, we've got the professionals and we have the coach and that those of us at home sitting in the chair watching the game know more what's going on than that coach. Who's I on can't the field. believe they ran that play. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that, Ron. I, I can't believe they ran that play. Now, nobody's in the middle of the mix. Nobody's getting the handoff, as you say, Carol, with the quarterback uh, analogy. Instead, we're, we're second-guessing and second-looking, and, and that's really a challenge here. That's why it's so critical to get this third person involved, because a lot of, I think, prep work needs to be done before a family enters into caregiving using one of their loved ones or, or siblings or family members as the primary caregiver. And when the caregiving tasks start coming fast and furiously, I always believe the first thing you need to do is involve the social worker, geriatric care manager, or the like. Right. I had a situation like this here in San Antonio. A very good friend of mine, a brother and a sister, mother needed care, couldn't live alone. So he assumed the responsibility. She lived in another city and constantly criticized, constantly criticized. So one day he said, I'm putting mommy on a plane. Here's when she arrives. You can do it better. Obviously, you take care of her. She was back in San Antonio within two weeks, and then the sister said, you're right. You take it over. I'm out of this. <laughs> you, yeah. You're doing it right all along. Exactly. I was so wrong. But, but think about that, Ron. It's what you say makes sense, and, and it obviously proved the point, uh, yeah. no doubt. But think about it just simply because two adults, meaning the two people who were kind of quibbling with the, you know, the poor person who had a chronic or illness right. or an illness. Yeah, in the between. mother in the middle. Yeah, it's like a badminton and a birdie piece. Couldn't those two have done the right thing and say, look, we both have differences. We both have different approaches to life. We actually, mom may have loved you or not loved you more or whatever the reasons are. Maybe we should get a third party to help us facilitate and mediate. So what is a geriatric care manager for those that don't know what that is? 
Well, I always say they're air traffic controllers who have a huge extensive curriculum uh, background in seniors and and geriatrics. I also know that if anybody can relate to a social worker or a nurse today, those are the two professions that are pretty much the the preponderance, if you will, of of geriatric care managers. There is a geriatric care management association that our listeners can always Google, and they will actually target people in different states uh, by zip codes. But to me, the best analogy is the air traffic controller, except they're skilled. They're extraordinarily skilled in people skills. They're, they're skilled in, in group skills, family issues, and they will be able, and this is, might be the most important thing, is to target the strengths and weaknesses of each one and how they all fit together to help the care, not only of the loved one, but of the primary family caregiver who is there. Well, and I will give an example. I actually did exactly what you said at one point. I called a, the, I looked online for, under the Geriatric Care Manager Association for a relative in another location. And then I, when I flew into town, I had set up appointments at a coffee shop, you know, an hour apart with two, my two top candidates um, as a geriatric care manager. And then I just sat down and had a conversation, kind of talked through what was going on with the care recipient, with the person, my, the family member we're caring for, what was going on with the family, and then kind of tried to get a feel for how they responded to that situation. And after interviewing both of them, and I picked the one that I felt the most comfortable with. Well, Carol, that's the ideal way to interview. It goes, again, you're trusting your gut, but then again, you are a gerontologist, so your gut has a few more years of academics attached <laughs> to it. Guy, you've got more gut than most people. Don't we throw all that aside? Obviously, I'm a therapist, and as I mentioned always, that I'm a therapist. My sister's a therapist, and God rest my mother's soul, she was a therapist. So anytime a problem hit our house, we were Mo, Larry, and Curly. I was going to say, definition is, uh, of a therapist is someone who needs a therapist. Without a doubt, without a doubt. But, but so I'm not, your, your academic you know, work may not have mattered there because you still were a relative. But yes, you're 100% right. Why don't you have the direct care worker or the geriatric care manager or whomever you're interviewing go through scenarios like that, Carol? It's an ideal way to interview. All right, hold that thought. For those of you who just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zerniel, and we're talking about about when your caregiver gets little, no, or non-productive help from other family members. So talk to us as a shrink, Dr. Jamie. What is the psychology going on in the mind of the distant caregiver who knows she, she or he can do it better and insists on telling you that? Well, they're obviously not feeling what's happening in real time, Ron. You know, and, and real time is you can never predict human behavior. Uh, the family caregiver who is there and the, the person who is ill are going through their own drama and trauma on an ongoing basis. And that's really totally not even uh, available to that long-distance caregiver. So the long-distance caregiver also has this incredible button where they start dreaming the horribles in their mind. And if they really didn't have a great relationship with the primary caregiver or really didn't have a great relationship with the, the care receiver, they really get anxious. And when they do, their imagination runs amok. Yeah, running amok is not good in no. any situation. Running amok is bad. Yeah, and it makes also the person who has the illness or has the issue even feel worse and feel unsafe. So this is why it's so critical to surround the person with the chronic illness uh, or even worse, a terminal illness with safety and with boundaries and with a family that can talk and get it together. But to do that, again, you probably need a facilitator. So do you have, depending on if, let's say, if the person has capacity, if, they're, if the person you're caring for, 
um, is able to think clearly and make their own decisions. Do you involve them in that conversation with that geriatric care manager? Do you talk I in front do. of them? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, Carol, is a great question. I always do. The last thing, if somebody can actually cognitively handle it, is that you want to marginalize them. You want them to have self-esteem and meet you as close as they can to halfway, so neither burn out. You want them to feel relevant, so you have to. Obviously, if they're not cognitively able to, able to, then that's another issue. But the interesting thing is what we're describing in this radio show is that sometimes the family, for whatever reasons of nervousness and depression or guilt, they're not even cognitively able to. So it's very important uh, to get that person. That's right. For, yeah, that's kind of like uh, throwing stones <laughs> and if the other parties won't participate won't listen they, that's a clear uh, directive to you that they're not going to get involved and you really need to to let go let god on that one and just work with the cards you're dealt i think a good geriatric care manager will be able to frame that up and reframe it up for other family members but the last thing you want to do is beat your head up against the wall or have you have your loved one even experience that drama and trauma of beating your head up against the wall well, just move on to what you have right and that's so important because you don't want somebody caring for someone who doesn't want to be there caring for them it's uh, that's a disaster way to happen. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Jamie, last question. Uh, this probably turns out to be more common than anybody could imagine. Absolutely. This is all the time. In fact, just like addictions, which is interesting, it becomes a family illness because the addiction ricochets off of everybody. I always talk about this, and it's probably another whole show ahead of us, is the co-addiction, the codependency that family caregiving kicks in. So I see this happening across the country, and places like Caregiver SOS are places where you can get some sanity back and Thank hear you. these words. CaregiverSOS.org is the place you can go for sanity. Thank you to Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. We will talk with you again soon right here on 930 AM, The Answer.